Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, Minute by Minute, or thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buttery, and we are joined by a very special guest uh, today. It is uh, the the Griff half of from the Paul and Griff podcast. So welcome, Griff. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, so as our uh, esteemed guest this week, uh, you know what's coming if you've uh, if you've heard the show. We're going to throw the question at you. So just tell us a little bit about your relationship with Jaws, maybe when you first watched it, or what it is you love about this, this film so much that made you want to come on to a minute-by-minute breakdown uh, podcast. <laughs> Well, my, my granddad always had a big, massive like VHS collection, mm. and we'd we'd watch um, films well, like we shouldn't be watching, like Rambo and stuff like that. Um, and um, one was Jaws, and because of Jaws, I'm absolutely petrified of sharks. But <laughs> I love watching shark movies, mm. and I don't know why. But um, yeah, I can't even go anywhere near shark. I don't even want to go on a boat. But Jaws is just the main reason for this fear and it's it's just it's just a perfect movie mm. it, it's just literally is it a thriller is it a horror film um apart from a masterpiece it's <laughs> it, it's just as you say there's not that many i think i heard you say last week there isn't that many films you can do a minute by minute podcast on mm-hmm. but george is definitely just one of them I, i'll watch it like two or three times a year I've got a few hot vinyls and other Jaws memorabilia. Mm-hmm. It's just a great, enjoyable movie, mm. but it still petrifies me and makes me petrified of sharks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get we get this a lot actually with people saying that they they saw it way too young. That's a fairly common theme, and also that it has now made people petrified of sharks. So. I guess it's 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 done its job, uh, certainly. But um, yeah, it's it really is one of those films that you can just find something new in every week, which is very fortunate for us because we are spending an hour or so talking about it every week. Um, and this scene is that we're talking about today is is one of my. I, I swear I say this every week, but I promise <laughs> not every scene is my favorite scene. But this is one of them uh, because it's when we first meet Hooper, and that's very exciting for me personally because Hooper is my favorite character uh, in the film. So this is the first time we see him. We don't actually find out his name or are introduced to him properly until next week's moment. But um, this is yeah when we sort of get our our first sight of our next uh, the the final player in the the main sort of trio of of characters that we see a lot of in the second half of the film so yeah so the timestamp of this scene if you are watching along at home is from 27 minutes and 41 seconds to 29 minutes and 18 seconds so it kicks off with the uh harbour master frank silver uh who's got a real big old grin on his face walking out of his uh sort of cabin in the morning 
um seeing all the all the fishermen that have have turned up to try and catch the sharks so previous scene we saw charlie and den herder is his name um (laughs) trying to catch uh trying to catch the shark late at night and it was just the two of them and we remarked that they had sort of been pretty smart in that they had tried to get ahead of the crowd and gone out early but the crowd has very much arrived in this scene um we get hendrix kind of recounting the story uh that we've just seen of charlie and and, um den herder to brody and then we see uh the sort of hustle and bustle that's happening at the harbor with lots of people trying to get out on their boats and uh this is when hooper arrives he's helped up onto the dock by Ben Gardner and then is sort of trying to get the attention of Brody but Brody is a very busy man at this point trying to deal with all the chaos that is uh, happening and struggling really uh, Hendrix is goodness knows what he is doing swanning around talking to people on the dock as well we presume um, and yeah that's, that's that's pretty much it we leave it at the point where uh, Hooper says uh, they're all gonna die uh, very amused by the, <laughs> the people on the boat who are uh, yeah they sort of know what they're doing but there there's a lot of them on a boat that looks very small um that's that's where we leave it so over to you first griff if you want to tell us uh yeah anything that sort of jumped out to you in in this scene perhaps why it was this moment that you really wanted to to talk about as well on the show um i just want to know what the the harbour master is really doing <laughs> <laughs> he's got a big grin in himself there's obviously Loads of, I say, like it's semi carnage with loads of people trying to get about. I counted eight people at the end of this scene trying to get onto that tiny boat. But um, all the harbour master seems to want to do is have his cereal and just um, and smoke his pipe and have a green. I just, I, I tried to find as much stuff on this Donald Paul who played the harbour master, but there was nothing I could find. Mm. But just, he just comes out of a big, a cheeky grin on himself. <laughs> and just yeah, I I don't want anything to do with that. I'm just gonna have my cereal. I don't start. I don't. I don't. I don't start my shift yet. <laughs> yeah, his his face amuses me every single time, and I have not really done much digging into him as a character before. But I I I, I did manage to find out some things. So the as you mentioned was uh, played by someone who was a real island resident so, which a lot of the kind of background characters and a lot of the fishermen in this scene and later scenes were real island residents that they just sort of roped in to basically play themselves um so this guy was a real fisherman and he would sort of entertain uh, supposedly he would entertain the, the cast and the crew with his fisherman tales and and yarns and apparently lunched very regularly with um with spielberg himself so i think perhaps spielberg was quite taken with with this character and brought him in to play this this part of uh frank silver harbour master who yeah that <laughs> what i got from his sort of real you know massive grin on his face is that he might as well have cartoon dollar signs rolling in front of his <laughs> eyes because I think he is just seeing all these fishermen there and is like he's counting up the the sort of the fees in his head because it looks like a a boat rental place as well i think at one point we see a sign that says boat rentals or boats for hire or something like that so he is he is seeing all these people amateurs from far and wide some with their own boats and some who are obviously hiring boats to take out and he is in his head counting the money that he is about to make from this day and 
he's just taken himself off somewhere to enjoy his little bowl of cereal and uh <laughs> knowing that his his work is done he's he's made plenty of money from this day but yeah i think he he <laughs> we're reading a lot into just this one character but hey that's that's what we do um he really sort of like establishes the comedic tone of this scene kind of almost immediately that we know this is going to be a bit more of a, a light-hearted scene and there is a lot of sort of great back and forth and 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 jokes in this scene that we'll we'll get into but yeah this is this guy sort of sets it off right from the start we're laughing straight away um just because of his his wee little face so yeah <laughs> what a guy we we love frank silver <laughs> He's on screen for like five seconds, but he's what you remember every time. It's yeah. probably not even five seconds. He <laughs> <laughs> steals the whole thing. Steals <laughs> the whole thing. Just have some cereal and hopefully the boats don't come back so we can claim on the insurance. <laughs> I just... <laughs> um, obviously, uh, the guy with the dynamite sticks out as well. Before we get into the Hooper stuff, which is great, like just some guy casually mm-hmm. like carrying dynamite around and, again, the harbour master probably don't care about that either. <laughs> <laughs> How easy to get dynamite is it? Mm. Big questions here. <laughs> not, not very in my experience. We're not just like I know we're a gun happy country, but uh, <laughs> I've never, I've never known anyone to just be carrying around sticks of dynamite. Mm. Yeah, we've got questions about where he acquired that dynamite. Yeah, from. we're we're the United States of America, not the United States of Acme Incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, but the, I suppose the main reason, like, to choose the scene, um, as you say, is Hooper's entrance. Mm. And I think in the case of he's probably in this whole minute or so on screen for, like, 25 seconds of it. Mm. And I think it does a really good job of sensing what his characteristics and who he is, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, he kind of, I would say, he talks down to the people on the boats. There's two boats trying to, obviously, one of them has to leave before the other one leaves. And he kind of like he shows straight away that like he knows how to like he knows what he's talking about. Mm. Just kind of like disturbs Brody or interrupts Brody all like to talk about it. And obviously, the bit at the end with you get his kind of I don't know his sense of humour. Him saying like you're gonna die, but pretty much like I've been asked by a complete stranger to like get to you off the boat. If you're not get off the boat, it ain't my problem. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, this scene is, man, this scene's so good. Um, and Frank Silva's the best. I love Frank Silva. And I, what I love about that shot, too, is it's the, the rare kind of establishing shot of a location that features a person front and center. I feel like you don't see that a lot. Like, mostly it's just, like, the outside of a building. But this, it's an establishing shot that establishes you on the dock. You see that it's the harbor master. Okay, we're at the harbor. But then you see Frank Silva come out and he's got his cereal and his pipe and his <laughs> grin with his, uh, you know, his his teeth. And uh, <laughs> you get the tone of it, like you said, Sarah. Like you can tell that this scene's going to be a little bit lighter than probably what's happened before. Like we we're... We're in broad daylight now. We're we're far removed from Charlie screaming for help from uh, Den Herder. Hey, that's two in a row. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> um, and, you know, this scene's going to be a little bit funnier. And 
there's all but there's also a sense of urgency to it like the the, the when the camera pans over to um hendrix and brody walking it's all one shot until they get to the boat where uh hooper's hooper's unloading with ben gardner like mm-hmm. it's still just that that kind of spielberg one take and it's really fast like it's it's one of those blink and you'll miss it ones because it's so fa- I mean, it feels like the an Aaron Sorkin almost like West Wing walk and talk where mm. Hendrix is like rapidly recounting like, oh, yeah, this is what happened to Charlie and Denherter. And his wife's roast is missing now. And she's going, where's the beef? And uh, <laughs> Brody's just like, well, that's not funny. That's not funny at all. Like a guy almost died. Mm. And um, it's this really cool scene for Brody before I move on to Hooper where you see him in a different kind of cop mode than he's been the whole time. Like we've seen him in like investigator cop mode we've seen him in protector cop mode and we're in this sort of subgenre of protector cop mode where there's not a lot for him to do to spring into action to help someone the way there is during the kittner attack but he's just trying to manage the chaos like he he kind of understands like i'm overwhelmed here also these are the locals for the most part and if they're not locals, they're outsiders like me who also have no reason to listen to me. So I'm just going to do the best I can to make sure everyone's as safe as possible. But my hands are a little bit tied because there's a ridiculous amount of people here. Yeah, this is like the the keeping the peace Brody where yeah. it's, it's quite clear that the situation is slowly getting out of hand, but he's really trying to not let that show. He really wants it to seem like he has got this situation under control so yeah that the effect of that that one shot is is so great because we're seeing him interacting with so many different groups of of people and we're only really getting sort of snapshots of each of those conversations but there's the the guys who sort of seem to be bickering um we're not sure what about and obviously he's trying to deal with hendrix as well who is just you know telling him what happened the night before and then these two boats that are sort of tangled up next to each other and all of this stuff going on and it's it's giving that impression that things are starting to get a little a little bit out of hand he needs reinforcements and obviously we we see that realized in the arrival of of hooper and and even though he isn't a cop he is you know the guy who is there to help him the guy from the oceanographic institute who he has been told is is coming to help with their shark problem so yeah a real sense that that brody can you know do it all he he is the the cop that can't be stopped and in this scene he is managing a lot of sort of spinning plates at once and really trying to get a handle on everything and yeah it's and and one thing i i like is or noticed and had to go back to a previous scene to check if i was correct um is that when hendrix is sort of recounting the story to brody brody says um that's not funny that's not funny at all and i was like that sounds super familiar um and it's pretty much like a word for word what mrs taft says in the town meeting scene so when i think it's when the guy says is the bounty in cash or check um Mm. and then she she says i don't think that's funny i don't i don't think that's funny at all so i like that sort of echo of a of a previous line and obviously it's sort of creating those connections as well because that was as the guy who said that we we established in last week's episode is den herder so we're sort of piecing 
these things together and again it's showing what a small place this is that all of these sort of small threads that don't even seem like they're significant are slowly starting to tie together and the fact as well that Hendrix knows the full story of what happened with Charlie and Den Herder really also goes to show like how quickly gossip spreads on this island mm. like <laughs> it happened the night before or what we can assume is the night before so they we you know assume that was fairly late at night that that was happening but they in that time have somehow like told all of their buddies all their other fishermen buddies what happened and already that news has spread as far as like the law enforcement and they were doing their level best to keep it secret from Brody <laughs> specifically so news uh, news travels fast on on Amity it's uh, not the place to try and keep secrets it seems <laughs> yeah well, and also so when Brody says that's not funny that's not funny at all I think it's also an outcropping of the guilt he's starting to feel over not sticking to his guns on on shutting down the beaches like mm. you know every person from Alex Kittner forward he feels guilt over if they're attacked by the shark so you know uh Hendrix is is recounting the story of oh yeah and the you know the roast is missing ha 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 and he Brody's just like someone almost died someone else almost died to this mm -hmm. shark mm -hmm. it's a good point and and Brody is even more so in this scene or is sort of re-emphasizing something that we've seen he is the outsider he does not think the same as the other people on this island where they all sort of think it's like oh isn't this funny this you know they he now had to explain where his wife's like where the beef went and it's like he sees the other side of it he's not like oh this is some funny like small town gossip he's like no another person almost died like this isn't this isn't funny this isn't okay I suppose it shows Hendrix's um, like immaturity a little bit. If he comes across as a bit non-professional, and obviously we find out in the next scene what he's doing, rather than the fact that Brody has to ask a stranger to help people like get off the boat, Hendrix has kind of kind of gone walkies. Like, where's Hendrix for all of this? But um, it doesn't seem to be taking his job role like very seriously. Yeah, he's he seems more amused by what's happening than sort of like this is something that needs to be stopped he's kind of like you know this, there's all these people here but being a local we, we assume or know I think that Hendrix is local to to the island so perhaps he's I don't know he's he maybe he's seen this sort of thing before or he knows you know what the fishermen are like and this is just sort of your usual fisherman banter that they're kind of doing the thing that they do and he's off chatting to people but he doesn't seem to be as like hyper focused as Brody is and it's again it's that sort of outsider perspective Brody is not sort of seeing the funny side of of this at all even though it is a comical scene he is like you know there are there are too many people in that boat this guy has some dynamite these two boats are tied together like all of these things <laughs> could be potential disasters and yeah like you said you know he is he is fully aware that the the thing that happened to Charlie and Den Herder is not some you know fun fisherman's yarn of like ha 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 we almost died he's like they almost died <laughs> like yeah. there is really no funny side to this this is you know that could have been another that could have been the third the third victim that's that's the next person you know 
I know this shark is a threat and it still even at this point even though a bunch of these people have just seen a child get killed and two people have had two grown adults as well I might like to say have just had a very very near miss with a shark still people are not taking it seriously it's like mm. how many more warning signs do we do we want to have and speaking of warning signs there is so much yellow in this scene uh, an abundance of yellow in this scene is what i wrote in my notes um we the examples that i made a note of there are it's, i mean it's a fairly kind of like common color for like a, a sort of rain mac kagul type of thing but there's right. a lot of people wearing the sort of like yellow jackets and the the waders um the floats for you know the side of the boat or for their bait the box of dynamite or the box that the dynamite guy is holding is yellow um the box whether it's i don't know if it's cereal or milk but something that frank silver is holding is yellow um three of the guys in the that are going into the boat the overloaded boat i believe are wearing yellow so yep yeah it's really it's really waving all of those flags uh in a very obvious way that what is happening in this scene even though on the surface is comical we're supposed to be sort of leaning towards how Brody is handling this situation i think which is here are a lot of warning signs here are a lot of things that could go wrong pay attention to these things totally yeah i noticed um old frank silver's um I, I think it's cereal or sugar or whatever's in yellow yellow box. <laughs> <laughs> just love that guy. I just I just love looking at him. Uh, he is the uh, star of this scene. <laughs> we also get uh, a, well, I guess it could go either way, but um, Ben Gardner has like a, a pale yellow shirt mm-hmm. on under his kind of camo uh, jacket, um, his camo and orange jacket and his his checkered hat i mean dressed like the guy from the uh the the photos right like you said like he's got the the checkered hat on and uh i love ben gardner in this scene (laughs) (laughs) he's so good i love uh how griff i think it was you who was saying that um hooper kind of condescends to the people of the island but they dish it right back to him in a different way (laughs) and it's really like it's really funny to see hooper's sort of pretensions bump up against the people of amity's lack of that pretension to the point where like hooper will say something kind of snarky and we'll just be like okay fuck you (laughs) like (laughs) like it's it's this different like there's like no layer of subtlety with the the citizens of amity where it's just like hey if you're gonna treat us like we're stupid we're gonna just be upset at you Mm -hmm. yeah he definitely talks to like hello hello yourself (laughs) you know i I don't know this first obviously i I watched this scene over and over again so when he goes i hope you know going out with those nuts i always thought it was kind of like a size thing that he was kind of Reacted and nobody just realized, does he mean like, hope you're not also going out to get that shark? So I don't know what it means by like, hope you're not going out with those nuts. Hmm. Yeah, I I took it to mean that. I also was kind of like, I'm not sure what he means by that line just because of the delivery of it. But and also strange because Ben Gardner is clearly about to get in a boat 
Uh, and <laughs> is he also one of those? Is he also one of those nuts? Uh, so yeah, I have a theory about that line, which is this leads into some more exploration of like the different masculinities on display in the film, mm-hmm. where he's saying that because he doesn't think Hooper is built for the sea, right? The way so he's trying to discourage him, like. I hope you're not going out with those nuts because he, he it's it's almost like a, a a foreshadowing of the city hands mm-hmm. type of thing where like people constantly I think underestimate Hooper because he's pretty snarky and <laughs> also he doesn't look like a, a seafaring guy like he doesn't look like these you know northeastern fishermen types. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And according to Ben Gardner, he, he looks a good foot shorter than him yeah. and not as built and not as built as, as not as built as him either yeah i don't know if they exaggerated that size difference but it's very funny to me i i really like that um sort of standoff between where you know he helps helps hooper up and then there's this just sort of split second where they're like face to face and they're sort of sizing each other up and it's i, I don't know if they've just made ben gardner look bigger than he is i mean he's quite clearly taller than than hooper but with all of his sort of extra layers and this big kind of like puffy coat and he's quite clearly a a big guy like a a built guy but they've really i feel like they've really exaggerated that size difference and i find that quite funny because it's again sort of like immediately painting hooper as as the outsider and that's something that we see in later moments with him as well because he is the smart guy you know he is wealthy he is experienced and knowledgeable and comes sort of at sharks with the scientific background whereas these people are are fishermen and sort of working class and they're clearly from very different you know ends and sort of like you know social backgrounds and and whatever but yeah i i like that moment of them sort of like they don't have another interaction i don't think i mean until hooper finds ben gardner's head um, yeah. so I don't think we can class that <laughs> as an interaction, and um, yeah, just that, <laughs> just that sort of sizing each other up, and the very exaggerated uh, size difference is, I think, very effective in in this in this moment of sort of establishing, like, yeah, Hooper is really an outsider here as well, and here is this big kind of like fisherman guy who is immediately going to assert his authority and he sort of i love the way he says like hello back young fella because it's he's sort of like you know like you said he he claps right back at him but also young fella there's something quite just underhand about that Mm -hmm. he's i don't i mean he evidently is younger but i don't know there's just something about calling someone young like i when i used to work in retail I used to hate it with every fiber of my being, uh, just working in retail <laughs> in general, but specifically when like customers would refer to me as young lady. And I was like, no, <laughs> please don't. I mean, I was like 18, 19 at the time. So I was younger than I am now, but I just used to find it so condescending. I'd be like, oh, the, yes, I'll ask the young lady over there. And it's just like, I know you're trying to be nice, but you're making me don't. feel like I'm a little <laughs> child and I don't like that. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a there's a, a certainly a, a tone that you can mm-hmm. say that in. Um, like there was at my former place of work, there was a guy who would call me young man all the time. And it was the only time I had ever registered how much I hated it. Also, because <laughs> I was like 30 when that was happening. I wasn't working at a retail store like mm. in 
I wasn't working behind a video rental store uh, counter when I was like 18. I was in an office building for a multi-billion dollar corporation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so that definitely sucked. But I love the way, uh, is his name Craig Kingsbury? Is that? Yes. Uh, yeah. I love the way he plays this because when he goes like, hello back, he's got this, he does this <laughs> really extended pause before he calls him young feller. And uh, it's this this very awkward silence of them sizing each other up where he's like, okay, I kind of want this guy to screw off now. So I'm just going to say, I'm just going to call him young feller, even though he's got like, he's kind of pudgy and has a full beard. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just it's just a really great scene. And funny enough, you said about the young man. Just thinking about it on a bit of a, a tangent. And obviously, I was only watching like from Russian with Love yesterday, and mm. Quint obviously plays Grant in Russian with Love, and he keeps on referring to Bond as old man yeah. as a as a slur in itself. <laughs> yeah, both in the right uh, in the right context and with the right delivery uh, can be uh, pretty derogatory, but. Yeah, I do. I do love the the delivery in this scene, and I think it's sort of fairly well known as well that the the guy playing Ben Gardner was again like a real sort of like character on the island, and was like the inspiration for Quint as a character. And you definitely get that sense of even just this brief interaction of Ben Gardner and Hooper is really kind of setting the scene for a lot of the interactions we see later with between Quint and Hooper, whereas there is just that instant animosity of knowing that this person is from a completely different place than I am and I am going to make them feel like they are small. I'm going to make them feel like a child um, mm -hmm. because that's how I can best assert my authority in, in, in this way because, I mean, Ben Gardner doesn't really know anything about Hooper and obviously Hooper and, and Quint sort of, you know, get to know more about each other as as time goes on but there is that sense of like you're the sort of the city guy with the the smarts and the money and i am this sort of hard-working you know grifter that i i i do this for a living and, and no one is going to sort of like come and boss me around but yeah so much just in that very very brief interaction that i think is is just great in this scene Ben Gardner's voice also sounds like that moment in Ferris Bueller's Day Off when Cameron is talking to the principal as Cameron's dad. <laughs> and he's just like, do you know who the hell I am? Uh, like, that's the same voice to me. Yeah. <laughs> I've not seen that film in a long, long time. <laughs> I... Uh totally know what you're what you're saying though is it's very that it's very like i am i am the person who knows what they're talking about and i am gonna you've just got here young fella but i am gonna i'm gonna make you <laughs> wish you'd got back on that tiny little boat and uh hopped off back to wherever it is you've you've arrived from but um I, one thing that i i had to look up because i'd never got the joke or even realized it was a joke before was the um field and stream and national Enquirer uh oh, mm -hmm. thing that uh, so did, did you guys i tried to google field and screen <laughs> and i got loads of i got a load of field and stream um stuff which i don't think mm. has anything to do with this <laughs> is that trying yes. to sell you fishing rods or something 
<laughs> yeah, so Field and Stream is like a hunting magazine here in, in America. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, it's like a hunting and fishing magazine that, you know, mm-hmm. people who are definitely... I feel like most of the people in this scene would have a subscription to Field and Stream mm-hmm. magazine uh, mm-hmm. and stacks of them in their in in their bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then National Enquirer is like a tabloid over yeah. here. Yeah, so I, I, I looked up both. But I was like, Field and Stream, it sounds like that sort of, yeah, that, that country pursuits type of magazine, very much like targeted at those who work outdoors or, you know, uh, outdoor hobbies outdoor pursuits sort of thing um and i i didn't know what the national Enquirer was so i looked it up and I, I guess the equivalent for our uk listeners would be something like the sun so just a really mm-hmm. yeah Comic. trashy <laughs> trashy uh better used as like chip paper um kind of, <laughs> uh, newspaper um and yeah, I, I I had never really appreciated that that is quite a smart and funny joke before because I had never bothered to look up what the National Enquirer was. So uh, Hendrix remarks that uh, Mrs. Kintner must have put the ad in Field and Stream, obviously, you know, suggesting that all of these fishermen have, t- have turned up. And uh, Brody sort of uh, responds back to the, that and says uh, something along the lines of, you know, more like the National Enquirer. So it's clearly that sort of like perhaps uh i'm trying to think of a diplomatic way to say this but like low lower uh or you know those who sort of thrive on just uh celebrity gossip uh love that sort of trashy style of of news and and, you know the people basically suggesting these are people who don't know necessarily what they're doing they're just here to because it's where everyone is it's it's the thing that's happening it's where you know they've they've perhaps heard that there is some money involved in it so suggesting that the people who have showed who have showed up are inexperienced and not the sort of the fishermen who you would want to task with catching a great white shark (laughs) (laughs) yeah well and it's just like it's it's just like a a media circus right like there's no media members there but it's just like the inquirer posts the most inflammatory headlines possible Mm-hmm. And that's how they sell copies of it. Um, shout outs to William Randolph Hearst for the <laughs> National Enquirer. <Academy. laughs> uh, and yeah, so that's that's what they do is like, it's just like a freak show, basically. You know, like it was, uh, there was this, there, I think it's discontinued now. World. Oh gosh. Um <laughs> Weekly World News. I don't know if you guys had that. I don't think. No. Don't think so. Weekly World News. Yeah. So that was like a conspiracy theory tabloid. Um, so it would. Yeah, 1979 to 2007. So it wasn't out, but it would it would advertise stuff like Garden of Eden found. U.S. grows new tree from seed. Um, <laughs> it sounds like the Daily Sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we have an equivalent here. Don't worry. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, we, and so, we have a very um, yeah that has very um, catchy headlines. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there was there was the the biggest the biggest claim to fame for the Weekly World News was a character named Bat Boy, which was just like a child that they photoshopped to look basically like Nosferatu. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he would he would show up on a lot of the headlines like i remember seeing bad boy uh, bad boy bat boy at the at the grocery checkout stand 
uh, when, when I was growing up. But Weekly World News would always be right next to National Enquirer because they were basically the same thing except instead of like inventing aliens or Bat Boy or whatever, National Enquirer just does celebrity news. Right. But they're about the same level of credibility. And trash. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Also, here's the Wikipedia page for Batboy. Because <laughs> you guys have got to see Batboy. All I feel is Batboy is there was like some Make a Wish documentary about some kids. I swear there's a movie about a Batboy. Oh, that was Bat Kid. <laughs> Bat Kid. Oh, was... oh I do, I do apologise. Yeah, that was a tale of a, of a kid who got to pretend to be a superhero. This looks like... Uh, people with too much time on their hands trying to make a story <laughs> there was in fact something i learned from the wikipedia page of batboy there was a batboy musical oh boy <laughs> i mean just, just a, still a, going on a little peek behind the podcast curtain here our discord chat where we drop all of these links and weird things that we find whilst we're talking Honestly, if someone checked it, I feel like we would get questions from. <laughs> I, did, I did. I did have a little look. <laughs> yeah, you scroll up too far and you find like a crochet baby, uh, Jaws the musical, um, a like a a dead shark in a tank, uh, and now Bat Boy. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, and the and the crochet uh, yeah. child. The, the crochet teenage boy. The nightmare fuel. Um, if you yeah. if you don't want to sleep tonight, can I just recommend that you look up knitted boy or knitted baby? Um, and please <laughs> enjoy. Because uh, <laughs> it's horrible. And when I saw this last week, I immediately had to show Martin and was like, I've seen this nightmare fuel and now you have to see it too because I don't want to be the only person <laughs> who's seen it. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Um, maybe... <laughs> We'll, we'll publish some of these links so people know what we're talking about but it's it's a it's a wild time and is very rarely about jaws it's normally just the <laughs> insane stuff that we find um on the internet but um yeah, yeah. <laughs> another um moment that i really like in this scene is the the interactions with with hooper and the guys on on the boat um and it's 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 funny in, in several ways just because Brody doesn't even know who this guy is. There's just this guy in this rather fetching double denim outfit who is now following him around the harbour. And he doesn't know who this person is yet, but he sort of immediately senses that they are a good person. They maybe know what they're doing and they could help out. And whilst he's trying to handle the, the dynamite guy, uh, who we don't know his name, so that is his name now... Um, he sort of leads him off uh, to try and prize the dynamite from his hands, we can assume, and asks Hooper to uh, ask the guys on the boat to to maybe not put so many people on the boat, basically. And um, I, there's something about the, the innocence in the way that Hooper asks them so nicely and so politely not to <laughs> not to go in the boat or perhaps that they're overloading the boat he sort of says like uh the chief has told me to <laughs> the chief has told me to tell you you're putting too many people in that boat basically and they they don't even entertain the notion of what he has to say they immediately dismiss it and then hooper doesn't even try 
to take the issue any further. I think he is just like, I am too old and too smart for this childish behaviour. Um, you know, sort of contradicting Ben Gardner calling him young fella. He really decides to like take the upper hand in this and prove his maturity and not sort of get into a, a verbal battle with these guys who are clearly not going to be told. Um, so <laughs> then asks um, if they know uh, what is it of a good hotel or restaurant on this island um, and the guys say back uh, yeah you walk straight ahead um, I guess implying that he should just walk right on into the ocean um, <laughs> <laughs> and it, he at that point has just had it and that's when we get that great line uh, where he says uh, yeah they're all going to die and he walks away and, and, that, and that's it but there's it's just so much great stuff that we learn about Hooper in this scene without even knowing his name we really get a sense of his character and I think credit to Richard Dreyfus for his his performance we will from this point on talk about him a lot obviously um but just really great delivery of of lines as well and, and just going back a little bit when the guy with the dynamite is sort of pushing past him um he says watch it that's dynamite but there's a there's a a, sl a slight pause between that and dynamite and it's so great it's just so perfectly timed where he's just clearly realizing in that second this guy has dynamite uh, <laughs> and is not sure what to do with this information but yeah so much great great hooper stuff in this scene and i'm a fan obviously i think that's fairly obvious how much i love hooper but yeah <laughs> Yes, yeah, it's, it's a great scene, and it's, it just shows his personality straight away. Mm. Always like, like, I've been asked to do it, so hi. The chief's asked me to ask <laughs> you to get off the boat. Like, not that I'm asking you. And basically, you say like, oh, I'm too clever, like, to argue with you. Mm. And well, as soon as they say like, they, they completely dismiss him, which shows him they see him as an outsider, don't pay attention whatsoever. And they say they're all going to die because it's the smallest boat like I've ever seen for eight people to get on there with boxes yeah i say for all the rumors that if it's going around about obviously the night before did the whole miss the whole information of how strong the shark was and how it, <laughs> and, and just like and the boats in this scene are just tiny <laughs> just none of it will kind of would survive mm. which may be why we don't see ben gardner again until we see his head but uh, <laughs> But it is a great scene. It's a great introduction. I say, it, Brody doesn't even like notice the dynamite. It's only when Hooper mentions the dynamite does Brody go, oh, "You've got dynamite!" Like, what are we doing? Like, oh no, you come here. <laughs> <laughs> he leads him away like a child that has done something naughty as well. He's just like, "No, no, no, come on, come on. I'm just gonna <laughs> let me just take that. Let's talk this out. Put, put, it, put it down. Just uh, you know, don't maybe don't take dynamite onto a onto a boat." Yeah, and I love uh, Hooper in that in that moment too because he's just kind of staring at the dynamite the whole time, <laughs> knowing what could happen. And at one point, he just kind of smirks like, "Okay, fine. Like this is what I'm getting into, huh?" Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and I feel like he's also thinking like, "I could be off the coast somewhere. Where's he? Where's he supposed to be?" That he gives up. Ooh, the... good question. It's somewhere like tropical and oh, I think not he's meant with to be a bunch in, um... of. Australia, maybe? Is it Australia? I think so. Yeah, he mentions it, I think, in the in the next scene. Brisbane, I think. That's oh, okay. where he's meant to be, which is Australia. Yeah. 
yeah so he's just i'm sure he's got to be thinking like cool just fishermen with dynamite i could be in <laughs> in australia right now but yeah here i am in freaking on the east coast where it's the it's the beginning of july and it's still overcast and getting ready to rain <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> dealing um, with these chumps <laughs> yeah exactly well and and also I don't think he's very polite to these guys at all. I think there's definitely an air of condescension <laughs> when he's talking to them. Like he's like he he's resigned himself already to the fact that like he has no authority there. Like he he knows the kind of people he's dealing with, and he knows uh, that one he's not a freaking cop, and they already didn't listen to the cop about it. <laughs> and so he's just like, I mean, I'll do it because he asked. So I think he's being polite to Brody, but I don't mm. think he's be. I think he's being very like snarky to them, and then they're snarky right back. Like they basically tell him, and then he like he responds in kind too. Like I feel like he's being sarcastic when he's asking for the hotel and the, <laughs> yeah. the restaurant. Where he's like, this is gonna <laughs> asking this question is gonna be just as productive as me telling you to get in the boat or get off the boat. So yeah, I might as well ask this question. And then they basically tell him to take a long walk off a short pier. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think his 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 intentions, at least when he asks them, when he sort of relays what Brody has told him, you know, like the chief has has asked me for you know for you to get off the boat, basically. There's there's always uh, like undertones of snark and sarcasm. I think with with Hooper, at least a lot of the time, anyway. So when I say that he's you know he's he's quite sort of like nice in the way that he asks questions, he's certainly polite about it. He's not kind of like you jackasses need to get off this boat he is and uh, i don't know i think it's the, it's the way that he uses the authority figure as well it just really reminds me of like how a child would like tell their friend to do something or their sibling where they'd be like mum told me that you need to do this when <laughs> you need to do this thing where it's kind of like i know i don't have the authority but i'm gonna use the authority of the person who has just given it given it to me I think he knows or he's smart enough to gauge that he's they're not just going to go oh okay yeah 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 sure uh, we'll 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 get on out of the boat cheers pal but he's not going to get that response so I think that his his intentions at least when he sort of asked the question he's like it would be really great if they did I'm not expecting them to this guy's just told me to do this thing so I'm gonna do it um and then obviously after that uh, his his cup of care is empty by that point, so he is like, okay, I'm just going to ask them a stupid question, get a stupid answer, and then walk away smiling and laughing, knowing that I'm <laughs> smarter than they are. Because <laughs> <laughs> Brody's already shouted at them, yeah, and they just ignore Brody shouting. So asking them nicely isn't really going to um going to work, really. Mm. It's it's so annoying to know that these are the because obviously we find out later and and not getting ahead of ourselves but it's so annoying to know that these are the same guys who then catch the tiger shark. <laughs> it's just really irritating that they succeed. Well, they succeeded in catching a large shark, but it's not the shark as we find out. But yeah, is this is this group of jokers who have clearly put too many people into this very very tiny boat. Um, I question how that little boat with all those people and they are not small dudes either. Some of them are yeah. are, are pretty stocky. Um, how they <laughs> in that tiny wee little boat uh, brought back what is still a pretty decent sized shark. Um, <laughs> it's a strong boat. 
sure. I mean, maybe there's something uh, yeah. going on beneath the surface that we don't see, but that's... I've got, I've got it looks like a canoe. <laughs> oh, wait. Is, yeah, I, so I didn't realize until you mentioned it that that's the uh, a what guy. Yeah, yeah, is, he's there. Yep, hanging out on the dock there. Wearing a yellow shirt, I think, as well. No, I think, he's, I think he's still on the dock in uh, the... Um, oh, maybe it's a yellow shirt. Yeah, like a yellow polo, I can't tell. I so he's right behind the guy with the yellow polo. He's because uh, okay. he's got a camo he's got a camo jacket and a camo hat on. Got it. Um, I can't make out the color of his shirt. <laughs> My eyes are not that good either. I was <laughs> maybe it's wishful thinking. <laughs> combining my uh combining my fisherman's shirts in that scene but um yeah it's it's it's, isn't that just irritating doesn't that just annoy you that they for a for a moment they really get that that just taste of that 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 they've won that they have and we get i guess we get some more of that animosity between them and, and hooper later where he sort of jumps in and is trying to like measure the the jaws and everything so i reckon i would love to just go into hooper's thoughts in that in that moment later where he's like it would be these guys wouldn't it of all the guys to catch a shark why did it have why did it have to be this group of guys the ones that you know had essentially got told off like they were naughty school children for putting too many people in a boat why did they have to be the ones who succeeded and i i guess as well like ben gardner he goes out uh i think in the next scene we see him go out and it's just him and one other guy i believe in a fairly sensible sized boat for two people at least um and he's the guy who doesn't come back and yet you have this group uh you know this boat overloaded with idiots and they're the ones who come back seemingly successful so I don't know. Interesting. The the sort of the characters that get focus in this scene and and how they come into play later, even though they sort of seem like inconsequential side characters, background characters. I never realised they're the same people. Mm-hmm. Hey, things we learn. It's annoying. <laughs> it's annoying that they get <laughs> and they don't just sink yeah. because they've not even got a sail. On, there's not even a sail on that boat. I don't know. If they got. A, I don't know. I, there's massive questions. There's no way. And. <laughs> There's no way. Yeah, that shark is not small that they catch. It's not a great white, but tiger sharks aren't tiny. Like they, I would love to have seen that scene. I want to see those guys like reeling in this shark and bringing it back. That's the that's the deleted scene. I wish we could see. Ah, oh, Spielberg, give us the footage. <laughs> Bring us the. F- <laughs> we need it. We demand it. Um, <laughs> was there anything else um, in this scene that, that you guys wanted to mention or anything else that particularly stuck out or that you enjoyed so I have something that's very sort of niche and I don't know how many people are going to get this <laughs> but there's I, I'm, I can't get a screen grab of the guy but the, the guy in the yellow polo mm-hmm. and the, the blue sort of I guess it's a cardigan. No, it's it's just a normal jacket. He um he very much is dressed like a character from the the Tina Fey television show Thirty Rock. <laughs> they do an episode where um 
I'm just gonna add more insanity to the <laughs> Discord here. Um, oh, did I save it? I gotta find it. Shit. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'll just share the link. Okay. So there's an episode of the show where they they're celebrating a leap year. And they, uh, they come up with the, this sort of mascot for Leap Year named Leap Day William. <laughs> and tell me that's not the same, the same. <laughs> I'm looking at it. Uh, Leap Day William. I just dropped it in the Discord. Oh, yeah, that will save me time. Uh, yeah, I see it. <laughs> The kind of the blue jacket, certainly. The little hat. Yep. <laughs> so the thing about Leap Day William <laughs> is that he is some sort of eldritch god. Um, by the way, if you haven't seen the show, don't just go watch this episode because it is the single weirdest half hour of television I've ever seen on network <laughs> TV. Um <laughs> It's, I watch it every leap year because it's hilarious. I can't believe something this weird happened. So the the show the show is like them talking about how nothing nothing you uh, nothing you do on leap day counts because it's not a real day. Mm-hmm. And leap day William is there to kind of like give candy to children and remind you that nothing you do that day counts. <laughs> to the point where well. in the Thirty Rock universe, there's uh, a movie starring Jim Carrey and they actually got Jim Carrey to be in the episode that's basically the plot of the Santa Claus with Tim Allen where <laughs> he's turning into Leap Day Williams or uh, yeah Leap Day William but his name is Dave Williams so the movie is called Leap Dave Williams <laughs> <laughs> so then at the very end of the show Tracy Morgan's character has an encounter with the real Leap Day William, who is the the gentleman you're seeing right now. And then after that, Leap Day William looks into the camera, gives an inspirational message about, like, how to seize the day or whatever when it's Leap Day. And then this happens. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And that's the final shot of the episode. And they've... They never came back and fleshed out anything with Leap Day William. They never touched on him again. It was never brought up at all. <laughs> wow. So. <laughs> I, what season of 30 Rock is this? Uh, season. It's a later season. Um, uh, There's me not sleeping tonight. Uh. <laughs> season six. Season six. Episode nine. Uh, and. <laughs> So, all that said, all the the, the, the Leap Day William lore explains <laughs> to say this. I think their secret mission here is they're returning Leap Day William to the depths of the ocean. In the, like, that's their secondary goal, and that's why he's on the boat with them. Sure. I have nothing to, I have nothing to dispute this theory, so I'm just going to agree. <laughs> I'm scared not to agree. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't agree, uh, I believe Leap Day William will stand at the foot of your bed tonight and pull that horrifying face that we've just seen. 
Also, Leap Day William might be Bat Boy all grown up now that I'm now that I'm looking at him. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the two next to each other. And I can see that. I'm seeing it. I well, I this was not where I <laughs> imagined things would go, which is what I feel most of our episodes uh, end up being is something insane by the end. Um, but yeah, maybe this was the first appearance, the first uh, sighting of uh, of our good pal Leap Day William was in Jaws. This is where this is where it all began. <laughs> maybe Leap Day William inspired uh, the first mates to elope with each other. They were like, nothing does count on Leap Day. Thanks, Leap Day William. <laughs> it's all making sense. <laughs> yep. We also have a new edition. Okay, I am going full on. It's always sunny in Philadelphia now. Uh, the, the the gif of Charlie with all the strings up. Uh, it, I like that we also see that... This is this is very canon within the Roy Scheider cinematic universe mm, mm-hmm. because he's terrified of that dynamite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Much like like it's almost like he has this intuition of like in a couple years I'm gonna be I'm in gonna a be truck <laughs> yeah. in the jungle transporting this dynamite across a bridge. <laughs> I mean wow. This yeah, any excuse to make a connection between Jaws and Sorcerer because Sorcerer is so great. But yeah, I had never thought about the, the dynamite uh, connection before. He is he is leading that guy away very carefully. Uh, almost like <laughs> he's, he's all trust me on this. <laughs> yeah, he's like I've seen uh, what happens in a, in a few years time. <laughs> oh boy! Um, oh, because he's a time traveler. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I feel like nailed it. Much like you shouldn't just go straight into a, a leap leap year William uh, episode of Thirty Rock. If this is your first episode of Jaws for a minute, <laughs> can I just can I just recommend maybe listening to a couple of others um, because I feel like we're going to be getting knocks on our doors very soon from people being like, "Are you are you guys, are you guys okay?" <laughs> Just checking in, just making sure everything's fine. Uh, <laughs> I promise. Look, man, we're coming up. We're coming up on a year of being locked in our houses. I don't know what else you expect from me. It's finally happened. Uh, everything has, has come together. Um, if all of our totally insane theories that we come up with on this podcast have now somehow uh, reached <laughs> reached this point, um, I'm both excited and nervous to find out where we go from here. Uh, and <laughs> the rest of the insanity that we managed to uncover in this film. Uh, Griff, he- here you were thinking that you were going to come onto a nice, normal podcast talking about a film, and this is this is where we've ended up. Now I've got to watch 30 Rock from the start. <laughs> or just watch that one episode, which is what I'm tempted to do, even though I've been told... I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. That I thought I have to watch that episode. Because it was, it was a leap day, and I was like, here... I know this is weird to have a leap day tradition, but I got to do it. And so we watched it and she was just like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> to the point where she wouldn't watch the show with me for another couple years mm-hmm. because of how weird that one episode was. Because I've rewatched the show like three or four times. It's one of my favorite TV comedies of all time. 
and she was always just like, I don't know, man. Like, that was so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, that should have, you should have really laid that out that that was one of your traditions, like, before marriage, I feel, because it's, that's something. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, we were still dating the first time oh, okay. we watched it. All right, you got to know that stuff So she knew. <laughs> yeah. Leap year of Amy Adams obviously is a safer bet, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Imagine if that guy showed up in that what I can only imagine is a <laughs> terrible romantic comedy. Um, <laughs> might make it more interesting. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, okay. I think that'll probably do us <laughs> this week um, because I'm not sure where we can go from from where we have ended up. So uh, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll uh, head on out of here real soon. Um, Griff, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us for this absolute madness um and uh for being a a great guest we've really we've loved having you on so if you want to let people know where they can find you on twitter and elsewhere and um plug your podcast as well then uh yeah the the floor is yours yeah thank you for having me um if you want to find me on twitter or instagram afc film geek and obviously if you want to check out obviously the paul and griff show on Twitter, we are um, at Port and Griff Show, and Instagram, Port and Griff Show. We just chat movies. There's even a Jaws episode in amongst the mayhem of our show. <laughs> but um, yeah, thank you very much for having me. Hey, anytime. And yeah, definitely recommend um, you guys go and check out um, the podcast. And you guys are super supportive of so many other podcasts as well, which is mm-hmm. is really nice. And it's so nice being part of that little um, community of, of fellow podcasts on Twitter. So yeah absolutely you guys should go and check out um griff's podcast and uh unlike uh, this insane podcast you can start with any episode there you can find one that is uh for a film you particularly want to listen to but go and listen to all of them but if you're going to start with an episode start with the jaws one because that's why you're here right uh <laughs> to, to hear stuff about jaws um and if you want to follow us on uh twitter you can follow the show at jaws for a minute you can follow me at Sarah Buddery and MJ is at MJSmith891. Um, if you have any feedback or comments, questions or anything else, you can email us, jawsforaminute at gmail.com. You can buy our merchandise. Uh, we have two designs now, um, which you can get through T-Public, if I say it properly, T-Public um, or Redbubble. Uh, the link is in our Twitter bio. Um, you can also buy us a coffee and we want to say a huge thank you this week to Rachel Finch Um, she left us a very nice message as well which I will read out Uh, she said you're doing the Lord's work guys loving Jaws for a minute Um, so thank you Uh, (laughs) you are you are welcome and thank you for your support Um, if you want to chuck us uh, some some money we would love that we're not going to charge you for our episodes but it um is just a way of supporting the show and um yeah you can find the link to our to our coffee and our merchandise through the link that's in our twitter bio um and i yeah this yep. this premium leap day leap day william content should not be behind a paywall <laughs> really you you the world deserves this this content i think is uh, is what we're trying to say and I don't know what price we could put on that, quite frankly. Um, so <laughs> it will always be free, but you can um, support, yeah, support us uh, in this insane, clearly insane journey that we're going on because it's starting to have an effect on us. 
um in all of those <laughs> in all of those ways um and yeah i think i think that's us for this week so um until next time it's jules o'clock somewhere that, that gift just keeps going 